0: All right, here we go. This is going to be a fun one today because it is Friday the 13th and it is also the Friday before Halloween, not the Friday, but two weeks from.
1: It's a Friday before.
0: Ha- it's a Friday before Halloween in 2023,
1: you No, know, but is.
0: Halloween will be in what? Two weeks and everybody on my block in my neighborhood has their yards covered in spiders and spider webs and ghosts and, uh, jack-o'-lanterns. And it's like a huge deal. We, we always have a giant party Halloween party in our neighborhood, like for the last six, seven, eight years, a bunch of kids live on our block. And so everyone comes to our cul-de-sac and it's when I say everyone, I mean like almost a thousand people at times we'll just pile into our cul-de-sac and, and do trick-or-treating. So it's interesting how many people love Halloween. And I haven't ever figured out exactly why, what's the significance of why do we all celebrate Halloween? It's kind of a weird thing. um, If you don't understand sort of the symbolism and the context that goes along with it. And a lot of people, especially Christians, I mean, we, you know, coming from an evangelical background and coming from um a conservative evangelical background there's always this resistance there's always been this resistance to halloween like should we dress up as bible characters should we do it in the church parking lot is it okay for christians to celebrate halloween and if you If you don't have any context and it's just people. Spoiler alert. Yes. Yes, it is.
1: It is okay. If you're a Christian out there and you're wondering if you can celebrate Halloween, you can. Well,
0: you heard it here first, folks. God will not smite you. (laughs) We settled the long running debate whether or not Christians can celebrate Halloween without dressing up as Joseph in the coat of many colors (laughs) or putting on a long white beard as Abraham Uh, or Moses. Or I did see, what's a dude perfect? Yeah. Did uh, like Jesus, no, Joseph and Mary riding on a donkey. That was, that was pretty good. That was actually pretty good. Um, You just have so many options. Yeah, you have 66 books worth of, worth of options um any of them are fine just as long as you find find them in the bible somewhere as long
1: as long as you depict them historically accurately historically
0: accurate, yes. and you you as long as your costume speaks where the bible speaks and is silent where the bible is silent
1: if you dress up as goliath you sure as hell better be uh nine cubits tall
0: is that or, what it is nine cubits I uh, thought it was like th- I think it's like three cubits makes like nine three feet cubits. or something.
1: So he's, okay, so maybe that's what he is. And you better have six fingers because that's also in the Bible. Goliath had six fingers. Hey, he was a son of Anak. Okay, I Come didn't on. know that part. It, I'll send you some YouTube
0: YouTube videos. <laughs> nice. It checks out. It checks out from the History <laughs> Channel: Aliens and the Six-Fingered Goliath. Different series same expert. Yeah. Excellent. Excellent. Um, so, you know, it would seem weird if you were just looking in the context of the last, you know, I think trick or treating became popular, like in the fifties. Um, and you said, why are all these people dressing up as skeletons and going around at night and trying to scare people? Well, then you go, well, that's, that's from the devil. Um, but So if you take Halloween in context and, and what I want to get to is, um, obviously episode three of Jung and the Restless, I want to eventually make this about Jung and connect this to some of his ideas. Um, but if we look at, um, if we look at the history of Halloween, it's essentially all Hallows Eve, which just means the day before All Saints Day, and All Saints Day, also known as All Hallows Day. So this was the day when, um, in the Middle Ages, when the medieval church would celebrate all the saints who had passed, all the saints who had come and gone, and they would remember their lives, and they would remember their deaths, and they would celebrate the lives of the saints who had come before them. And there was a, there's a pagan holiday of bringing in the harvest, obviously about this time. And the two sort of got mingled, celebration of, of bringing in the harvest and, and All Saints Day, which was supposed to be, uh, which is November 1st, I think. So it's sort of considered like the end of the summer, the harvest, the beginning of winter, we celebrate All Saints Day. But the night before we celebrate all hallows eve so it's the eve before we celebrate the life and death of the saints now why that's significant is that we're celebrating what we have deemed um, as sacred as virtuous as admirable the things that we want to emulate we're celebrating the saints and the parts of the saints the lives of the saints which were holy and devout and those are the things that as medieval christians they wanted to promote obviously you celebrate something because you want to remember and you want your children to remember and your grandchildren to remember all of these different aspects of the saints which are which are worth celebrating so if you look at it from a psychological standpoint, what appears in my mind is this, uh, the aspects of the personality where you have the persona, the things that we want to put forward in the world, and you have the shadow, the parts of ourselves that we want to hide from the world or repress. And so you're essentially, halloween you're essentially finding a moment before you celebrate uh obviously what you want to promote and what you want to emulate you're finding a moment to express or to connect with the parts of yourself the parts of your culture the parts of your tradition or the parts of your canon as as um as eric neumann puts it um that you have have suppressed and and most of the time that's death most people don't want to think about death so you're 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 finding a moment to reflect on death that's why you wear the skeletons that's why you've got the graveyard theme um that's why it's at night and so you're bringing to light you're finding a moment to bring to light the parts of your culture the parts of your community, uh, your ethos that have been, re- that are there, but that haven't been acknowledged, and so you're bringing those into the light, and at the same time, uh, you're you're making it um, something that's fun, and so so both of those aspects, and and this is sort of what leads us into into um, union psychology, is that. Is that that's the healthy way you have to find a healthy way to express to get in touch with to bring those parts of the shadow to light in the same way you have to do that um as a community you have to do it as a as a person and if you ignore those things and just suppress those parts of your culture of your tradition of your community then they'll eventually come back to bite you. They'll eventually come back to haunt you would be the, the, right, the right way of looking at it. So when you put it in those terms, um, when you see it in that light, it makes th- sense then to sort of dive into that and, and participate in that experience along with, the collective, with your collective community. Does that make sense?
1: Yeah, I'm interested though about this idea that we need to make it, or not that we need to make it fun, but this idea that we uh, we made it fun. What?
0: what what's the? Uh, what do you make of that, Matt? What? Yeah, that's a good question. That's a good question because it's kind of like Mardi Gras. It's kind of like a yeah. party where where we we designate like this little window of time to dig into that. But I think you have to make it fun. And maybe this, maybe this happens over time. Maybe it's not a conscious thing, but that you have to make it fun. It or it has to be fun in order to get people to really dive into it. And you have to take the boundaries off of it so that the, so that there's no, discouragement. There's no social, there's no, um, institutional, there's no conscious uh, um, discouragement for people exploring that. You know what I mean? So if you're, if you're exploring what's in the shadow, you're probably going to go, you're probably going to run into some things. You're probably going to pull out some things that you, that shouldn't be pulled out. Right if you if you're exploring the darkness, you're going to see some things that you maybe didn't want to see, or you're going to expose some things within you that you didn't want to expose. And if you have to be careful, in that process, then you're not even going to bother like it's too, it's too dangerous. If there's a lot of consequences involved with exposing what you've subverted. So if you make it fun, and you give people the opportunity to sort of have a party and you take away some of those, they can explore. I mean, just think about kids, like they get to explore the dark side of their personality, maybe the dark side of, um, their community without fear of repercussion. Yeah. But in order to do that, it has, they have to know that this is going to be like a, this is going to be a party. So for,
1: For those of us that aren't that aren't uh, swimming in Jung, uh, when you talk about exploring the dark side of their personality and you talk about the shadow, the connotation is, is that it's bad or that it's evil, but that's it. Am I right in understanding that the shadow isn't isn't necessarily bad? No, we'll see that you're exploring. Yeah, the shadow isn't. Maybe unpack that for folks.
0: The shadow isn't bad at all. The okay. shadow may contain some things that are bad, but the shadow itself is not is not evil, or is not is not bad. It's it, it's it's essential. Um, so we all
1: ha- we all have a shadow.
0: Okay. So here's what is that right? Yeah. So I'm going to bring up um, a book called The Origins and History of Consciousness by Eric Neumann. Yeah. Because I'll probably reference this book a lot. Um, it's one of the best books I've ever read it. So, so Carl Jung said, cause, cause Neumann was sort of a disciple of Jung. He wrote this at toward the end of Jung's life and, and Carl Jung wrote the foreword and said that this book is the book that he wished he had written. So mm. essentially Neumann's understanding of this framework um, got Jung's full endorse- endorsement. So, yeah so neumann says that you have authorities within the personality so there's parts of yourself that become different authorities with different roles that are all a part of your personality and he calls those authorities and he refers to them as as like people like the (laughs) they're like little people living inside of your psyche inside of your personality and so he, he says, number one, one of the authorities is, and this is not just Neumann, uh, this is depth psychology, analytical psychology. Um, number one, it's the self, you've got the self. And, and Jung says the self is, is the part of you which doesn't change over time. So it's the, the parts of you that are that are essentially you that aren't gonna change. Um, okay. Neumann says it's the self when he, re, when they refer to the self, basically he says it's the totality of the psyche. So it's like the whole, the whole you. Um, but the other person, the other authority as Norman calls it would be the persona. So the persona is the part of you that you put forward into the world in order to, um, get the approval of your community. So in order to fit into the group, in order to fit into the collective, whatever tribe or family or um, group you're a part of, you develop this persona um, as, you know, part of your personality that you express in order to make yourself a functioning part of the group. So then there's the, the, anima or the animus which um the anima is male the animus is female that's sort of your um your it's it's like an energy source it's like your soul your like psychic energy your vitality it's what makes you it's like the force that makes you alive is the anima the animating the animating spirit is uh the anima or the animus And so that's three, the fourth authority within the personality would be your shadow. So all of the parts of you, if you have a persona where you present all the parts of yourself that you want to express in the world that you want to use to connect with people, to fit in socially, to fit in culturally, well, then there's going to be parts of you that you don't want other people to see or other people to know about. You don't want what what we're doing here is, would be part
1: of the persona. Is that right?
0: Yes. Correct.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So who I am, it's basically not not bad,
0: right? It's just, it's the way you're, you're built. It's not in and of itself or bad. Yeah. It's not good or bad. Yeah. These are these, these authorities, everyone has them and you have to have them. Like if you don't have a persona, you don't have friends. You know, you don't have, you don't have colleagues. You don't, there's no system. There's no social system that you can fit into without a persona. Your Otherwise, persona helps you orient yourself in the world. Yes. Yes. Yeah. It, it helps different. it helps other fears. people orient you into their world. If you yeah. don't have a persona, it's just chaos and they can't make, they can't include you. You can't include someone that chaotic Okay, into into a group. Yeah, because everyone has to fit themselves into a a role, a space an experience that the group has decided is the best way to engage. And so and so that's part of it is in determining your persona is what are the norms? What are the social norms of the group? What has the group decided is the best way to be in the world, morally, ethically, uh, socially, familially, like the group determines those norms, and then the self we we determine how we want to individually fit into that into those norms, how we want to connect into those norms. And most of that happens, most of that happens in adolescence because your peers become the most important thing to you obviously you figure out how to fit into your family as a child. And then when you become an adolescent, you start developing your persona. Like, what about me? Do people like, what about me draws other people to me, allows me to fit in, allows me to thrive and be a contributing member of my society and my culture. And all of that is just, all of that is just the development of a persona. And so if there's things about us that we don't, want to bring into the community that we don't want to share with the community that we don't want um that are going to be detrimental to us contributing to the group we we essentially repress those things and we say i'm going to keep this inside so to speak i'm going to suppress this down within me because it's going to it's going to to be a detriment to my integration into the world around me, and all of those things that we suppress, all of those things that we um, pretend are not a part of us, we call that part of ourselves the shadow. And so, if you have a persona, you have a shadow. That—that's, I mean, that's why it's called the shadow. Is because it's just—it's just the um, the side effect it's just the side effect of your persona in the same way the you know a a physical shadow is just the side effect of your of your body shape the side effect of your persona is is your shadow um so there could be things that are that are um evil for lack of a better word that are that are um wrong or bad in the shadow but it also just could be things that are socially uh, awkward or socially unacceptable um that we just don't want to include as a part of our of our personality and so
1: yeah so like if, if you're in if you're like we talked about being raised conservatively right and conservative evangelicalism right so so that's an that's an easy one that's an easy example but so in any environment where there is a clear or a even a rigid sense of what is acceptable and what isn't, you're going to have parts of yourself that you cannot bring into that into that community. Yes, right. Yes, um, that that community determines are are unacceptable, even if it's not necessarily even if it's not necessarily a, a bad thing. For whatever reason the value system of that community, the collective value system is gonna say, no, that's got to stay out. Yes. And and so that 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 unless unless you're willing to bring it in into that community and make the community deal with it, that's just by de facto gonna become part of your shadow.
0: Yes. Yeah. And so yeah, yeah. so you're right. Because and, and that's the other part of this is that the persona and the shadow are to a large extent, culturally determined. So, you know, different religions, different cultures, different societies, different communities have a different way of creating a persona for each individual, or at least, at least creating the mold for the individual to fit into in order to develop their persona into that form. And also then, to have the remain i mean you can think of the shadow as like the remainder it's like the the part of you that doesn't you know when when you put the cookie cutter onto the <laughs> dough yeah you you have the cookie within within the shape of the cookie cutter and then the remainder outside of the dough is just the imprint of what's not the persona and so yes different groups will have different expectations And you can't be a healthy, let's just say, let's just say, let's go back to adolescence. You can't be a healthy adolescent if you don't learn how to fit into the community. Like it's, it's a, it's a rite of passage. Like you can't become an adult if you don't develop your persona during adolescence or you don't develop the persona correctly. And that that's part of. I mean the community is looking for people the community is looking for individuals who number one can figure out what the norms are because that's first right you got to be able to see and understand what the norms are what's good and evil you have to be able to distinguish yep. that yep. and then you have to have the capacity to um you know live by those virtues self control or self restraint or motivation, what, whether it's doing things or not doing things, um, the community is looking for people who are who are intelligent enough to determine those norms, and then who are regulated enough to live according to those norms, so that there's not chaos, and so that so that individuals can trust each other within within the community. So that leads us into the shadow. And what's in the shadow, and is it, um, is it a is it always a dark force? Is it always a force for evil? That what what we have in the shadow, um, should we be looking at it? Should we be diving into it? Should we be in touch with the shadow, or should we focus all of our energy? Should only things that are holy and pure and socially acceptable, should we only aim our attention at those things? Well, clearly there is some value. Halloween wouldn't exist if there wasn't some value in us at least for, at least for a designated time and space to dive in, to look into those things, to look at death in the face because death is almost always a part of shadow of any individual or group it's it's the part of life that we don't want to look at our our frailty is the part of our whole self that we don't want to see if you and if we don't if if there's a part of us that we don't want to see or don't want to look at that by definition that's a part of our shadow so death is obviously a part of that and and Sorry, Matt. No, go ahead. I, I, so I just I heard this uh, great
1: story by uh, earlier today talking with talking with um, uh, the 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 dean of the school of theology who's was, who's was teaching a course on death death and dying and mm-hmm. he was telling this story about um, this professor who was giving giving some students a tour or something of campus back in the day and for a lot of our universities they're they have religious origins. So like the oldest building on campus is the chapel or so, you know, something like that, you know? Right. And, and so he walks, he's walking across the university with students and he says, yeah, there's the chapel, um, that this was the original building on campus. And, uh, this used to be the center of campus and the chapel now is on the outside, like on the outskirts of campus. And, um, and somebody said, well, what's at the center of campus now? And he said, well, the hospital. And he said, because we used to fear God and now what we fear is really just death. Hmm. And he wasn't trying to make this like a, let's go back to our roots and let's all get back in church and, and you know go back to this old version of religion. But he was, he was making the point that what we're most terrified of in this world now is death. Right, and the notion that the hospital would represent that—that uh, that we we make death as clinical and as uh, as impersonal as possible when we do have to deal with it. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. So, uh, so so that. Nobody's in the hospital like when you're in the people that are dying in the hospital are not having conversations about what's happening. Right. That's not that's not the place for it. The only place collectively that we deal with death is the place where we're either treated for it or we're induced toward it. Right. We're either you're either going to we're going to give you the medicine that's going to save your life or we're going to give you the medicine that's going to make it so that as you pass, make it OK as you pass. Right. And, yeah that's interesting. And but other than that we don't deal with death at all for the for most of us.
0: Yeah. The hospital is not even equipped to deal with the death as an archetype as as a as a psychological experience as an experience, the
1: lived experience of well that sounds weird but the lived experience of death right?
0: Yes, a lived experience of dying. Of dying, thank you. That's better. Yeah, which is wild. It's like it's so repressed that we can't even include death as a possibility for people in the hospital. That, Like that's how yes. that's how repressed it is, that we can't. Well,
1: and, and, yeah, and, and part of it is that, uh, is that be- we, we actually don't want – we really don't want our medical professionals – thinking about it. Yeah. Like they're, they're trained to be able to lock it down and to not engage in that conversation or in that experience. Um, yeah. Because but you
0: think it's because we don't want the patients. That might be a reflection of the fact that, that we don't want our patients thinking about it. Yeah, that that's exactly right. Yeah.
1: What we want them to do is to focus on, on treatment, on procedure,
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Right. On on, on on the function of providing care to the human body that will keep you alive. Yeah. That will save you from death. Right. The, the science uh, of it. And when we want to have those those more difficult conversations, we bring in the chaplain.
0: Yeah, we, but most of the time we don't even bring in the chaplain. Uh, right. Right. You know.
1: But we, we've got a – it's like we've got somebody designated that we channel all of – we channel that into almost like a sacrificial lamb, right? It, yes. As the chaplain. Yes. So that the rest of us don't have
0: to deal with it. We put all of that on – yeah, we, we, we put all of that onto the chaplain. On the chaplain. So yeah. I, I,
1: th- but- I thought that was – that, that, that story came to mind when you were talking about this, this fear of death. Um, and and I think maybe this is maybe there's a secularization argument here, Matt. That that death isn't isn't uh, by default it connected with religion anymore. Yeah. Well. Right? So so like you're not. Um, whereas go back to go back to the Middle Ages, and you, you can't you can't deal with death at all without dealing with the idea of a soul, right? and the idea of what happens next, which is why we have All Hallows Day and All Hallows Eve. But now when we talk about death, we don't necessarily have to, there, there isn't an automatic connection with any kind of religious function
0: or spiritual identity, right? Right. And we've even, I mean, you could almost say that we, Halloween is not scary enough anymore. Like we've even made Halloween into a, a little bit of a, of a caricature of a, a dis Disney, we've disnified Halloween to where we don't actually even have to think about death anymore. Yeah. We, we commodified it, right? Yeah. But when we commodified it, well, we pulled, okay. So, so this is interesting. We polarized it. It's like, hmm. we, we, we over it to the horror films. To where it's like extreme texas chainsaw massacre death and then there's like inflatable pumpkin head man with the smile uh, like the smiling jack-o-lantern um that's like two feet tall out in the front yard so there's there's no like true look at death there's just caricatures on both ends of the spectrum or there's 22 year old
1: matt cost and twenty-year-old Ryan Daly dressing up as Jim and Dwight, circa two circa two thousand and five. That's it. And what could be what, what could be more harmless than Jim and Dwight? Couldn't I, I? It was a pretty good Jim and Dwight too. I think. I'd say so. But that's that's a good example of what what Halloween the what, what Halloween is as a caricature, right?
0: Yeah. Well, and that, and that's so. Th- what you're talking about is is developing because that's more connected with the persona so now halloween yeah. is not connected to the shadow it's con it's it we're, we're having a costume party uh-huh. and and what costume can we wear what costume could i have possibly chosen ryan and i to more fit in socially into the social context than uh the you know the two main characters from the most popular tv show in america so we've even we've steered ourselves away from looking into the shadow even on halloween we're still using it to celebrate the persona Yeah, that's right to to connect we're we're we're, that's how disconnected we are from um from the shadow i saw uh i watched the first episode of the witcher yesterday i don't know have you ever seen any of those no It struck me because don't ask me why all sci-fi fantasy shows are futuristic and set in the middle ages at the, in, in it set Uh in medieval Britain, they're always in the future in medieval Britain, but they're it, that's what this is too. He's killing monsters. It's like a fantasy thing, but they have this, they have this medieval battle. Where you know five thousand soldiers in armor charge against you know four thousand soldiers in in a different color armor, and I'm watching it, and it it dawns on me like how willing like these people had no strategy. It was just like we're let's just charge to our death, and we're either going to I'm either gonna kill a bunch of people. Or I'm gonna die right here on this battlefield. It's not like let's sneak up on anybody, let's come up with a, a tactical plan that outmaneuvers. No, you just because who who wants to win a battle where you were sneaky? Like there's no honor, there's no there's no valor in sneaking up on someone and attacking them from behind.
1: Ninjas, ninjas would disagree. Matt,
0: well, you're probably right, but ninjas were more like special ops, right? Ninjas were like the the special ops samurais. Am I? I have no idea what the historical context of yeah. a ninja is. Yeah, I, all I, think I know is that's, that's clear. The best ninjas today, <laughs> the best ninjas today, can swing from one bar, one set of monkey bars, to a rope over a pool of water better than anyone at least the American. why why that's those aren't even ninja skills like why can't we have real ninja skills on american ninja warrior they should because Because it's american yeah they should have to they should have to sneak up on people they should like you should you should sneak up behind someone with a rubber sword and samurai sword and put it to their neck before they know that you snuck up on them. you should have to do the thing that the,
1: that David did in the Bible where he s- hid out in the cave and he snuck up behind Saul and cut off a corner of his of his robe. Yes. And then let him walk away and then showed him the robe and was like – or the corner and was like,
0: see what I could have done to you? What I could have done? And he was like, ninja, vanish. <laughs> With a smoke bomb. There's tons yes. t- – there's, there's tons of awesome ninja tests that would be great for TV, but like chin-ups. Why is it always chin-ups? Like that's all they do is just swing over the water. Yeah, and why
1: is it always over water?
0: Yeah, how is many times well, honestly, in your life? How many times honestly have
1: you had to run over run over some a bridge over the water? You know, uh, probably a couple. I'd like, but I just I just think we could. Yeah, it could be more realistic
0: yeah um oh the medieval battle so the so, medieval battle scene. so what so there's no there's no point basically what the conclusion i came to was for for the for the medieval warrior there's no point in winning a battle without honor if you yeah. if you have to use a a, a, a tactic of deception or um or maybe maybe it's just as maybe deception was the only but if you're not going mono mano, if you're not saying my best fighters versus your best fighters face to face on this hill right here then there's no point in winning the battle because because dishonor is worse than death so so dishonor being unvirtuous was pushed into the pushed deeper into the shadow than death they were okay with death as long as it came in with the honor of of dying courageously of going into battle and and dying for your country for your home for your people yeah so we have shifted that to where you know death is like the deepest part of our shadow but violence is also that that's an easy one to look at violence as a part of the shadow because we need we have to have some level of aggression in our personality in order to move through the world there has to be some yep. level of willingness to engage in conflict to channel aggression and uh, force whether it's it, it's it's very rarely physical But the physical part of it is always sort of looming. Like if I walk down the street and throw a rock at another man, odds are it's going to get physical. Like, but I have to have, I have to at least be in touch with that part of me that would be willing to become physically aggressive if someone were to uh, assault my children if someone were to threaten my children, like, yeah, I don't, I I don't want physical aggression or physical violence to be a part of my personality. Like I don't, obviously I don't want to be known for being physically violent. So I, so my physical aggression and violence is a part of my shadow. Like I I'm, you know, we're, we're animals and at times humans can be savages. That's a part of being, human but i i have to be able to be in touch with it on some level because at some point it may become necessary to integrate that part of me into who I, who i am in the world if it comes to that
1: yeah matt this is there's there's like any there's enneagram stuff all over this man yeah no doubt i You know, when you're talking about sense of aggression and a willingness Mm to, to like engage in that, um, when you think about your, isn't it the the gut triad, the eight, nine, one, that that's core emotion is anger. Right. Am I making that up? Right. No, that That sounds right. The eights turn their anger outward to the world. Ones turn their Mm -hmm. anger inward toward themselves and nines don't turn their anger anywhere.
0: Right. Right? It's just, and, yeah, it's repressed.
1: Yeah, yeah. And, and that's, that's the word right is repressed. And I think for <laughs> I, I'm, I'm going to take kind of a just a quick left turn, I think, for for Enneagram stuff. Um, for those in the gut triad, getting in touch with that anger is part of getting in touch with the shadow. Mm-hmm. Um, and you, you may look at like an eight, because that's, that would be so stereotypical, right? Because typically, we eights are hyper competitive. And you take it to 10, they're like, they're willing to take it to 11, right, they're gonna die on that hill. Right. Um, so you wouldn't think that an eight would have a difficult time getting in touch with their anger. But, but it's, it's getting in touch with what's behind the anger for the eights. Because they're projecting it out into the world. Yeah to defend something inside of themselves yes, or to protect themselves from something. And that's the shadow for them.
0: Yes. Right. Something, Where, something unconscious is fueling that anger.
1: Yes. And that's the shadow, whatever yes. is back
0: there that they're not wanting
1: to let you into. Right. Yes. Um, and you could go, I mean, you could go for, for all the numbers, but eight's a good example um, within the gut triad. So for nines, nines the anger is the shadow i think Mm -hmm. that you spend your whole life trying to not be angry or convincing yourself that you don't know what that is yes like i remember all right i I remember this (laughs) i remember uh this was like seven or eight years ago and i was talking to my therapist and (laughs) And I I think I had just gone through like a breakup or something. And I was like, yeah, you know, just just made me feel a certain kind of way. And she was like, yeah, yeah. Like like what? And I was like, "Ah, it's hard to say. I was just like, like, like so mad and like, I don't know, just a certain kind of way. I was really frustrated. She was like, yeah, yeah. A certain kind of way. And I was like, yeah, it's hard to put into words. And she's like, we'll try. And I was like, I was like, I I just like got really upset. And I don't know, I got defensive. And she was like, there's, there is a word for that. (laughs) And she's right on the tip of my tongue. Yeah. She was like, it's, it's called anger. (laughs) And I was like, no, 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 I wasn't mad. I, I was, and I could like see myself backtracking. And I was like, I, I think, yeah, actually, I think I was angry. And she was like, Yeah, there's, there's a word for it. <laughs> yeah. Well, but, but that's, the, that's what you have to like, get in touch with is that sense of fight, you know, that, that, that anger, and I guess for ones, um, for ones, it's directed, that credit that anger is directed as criticism toward themselves, a try to perfect themselves.
0: Yeah. Well, uh, and the, the anger comes from the fact that they have a shadow. Th- that's exactly right. They're very much aware of their shadow and they're angry that it's in there and that they can't get rid of it. That there's some... Yes. They feel some sense of darkness that they can't control or repress and it and it makes them angry. Right. And, and anger is a good one to look at in the shadow because it, it, here's the thing is that if you don't... And this is the... The scary thing about the shadow, if you don't connect with it, if you don't investigate it, if you don't get in touch with it, if you repress it and try to pretend like it's not there, it will hijack your personality. It will it will either explode or it will leak out and it will start to control you because it's because you've buried it in the unconscious because you're not aware that you are angry angry or you you're not willing to admit that you're angry you have no way to regulate that anger you have no way to integrate that anger if you're in denial about your anger how, how can you integrate
1: something that you're not willing to acknowledge exists oh, right exactly right that's
0: exactly it yeah and the The interesting thing about the shadow in relation to the Enneagram that I look at is threes and fours, because I've heard, I've been told, and this, this makes perfect sense that threes are overly associated with their persona. Mm -hmm. They think that their persona is their self. They think the persona, my persona is, is me. That's all of me and they don't have access to their shadow like they can't find it they can't see it or on some level they don't want to see it so they over identify with their persona who they are in the world is who they are who other people think they are what groups they fit into their social network that's who i am i am who i am in the world not who I am in, within my psyche. Fours over identify themselves with their shadow. <laughs> so they see their shadow. Oh, this is, I, I've got all these idiosyncrasies. I've got these vulnerabilities that I don't share with the world. They're, they're just mine. They live, you know, they just, they're so introspective that they think, oh, this is me. I am all, all of these parts that I hide from the world. That's me. That's the real me. Uh, yeah, I have friends and relationships and and social communities, but I, you know, I just, that's sort of inauthentic. That's not the real me. And th- that's why authenticity is such a big deal for fours is because they don't believe, I, I don't, I'm not going to, this is not, you know obviously there are exceptions and there are paths to consciousness and growth, but generally speaking, they don't, they believe that their persona is inauthentic. Well, that's not me because that's just the way I present my personality to the world. That's not the real me. So threes over identify with the persona and under identify with the shadow and fours over identify with the shadow and under identify with the persona because it, it, the persona is you too. I mean, the persona is part of the self. Yeah. You can't say that's just, that's just some character you created. It's part of you. It's part of your personality, but it must be in balance with the shadow. You have to hold both of them. They're, they're both authorities. um, As Neumann would say, and so if you're out of touch, if you're disconnected from one of your authorities, well, then that authority is going to steer the ship in a way that you don't want it directed. It's going overly, to be overly, your life will be
1: overly controlled by one or the other. Yes. Right? Yes. And, and when they're out of balance, that's when, if you're, if you're all brand, right? Right. You're all persona or you're all, you're all shadow right? And you're, you're unrelatable to the world. Yes. Right. Yeah. Then, then
0: that's a recipe for disaster. Which is funny because fours almost create a persona out of their shadow. It's like mm-hmm. the shadow comes, it's like the shadow comes first and the persona is like the remainder. It's like, I, I'm going to be, I'm going to be, I don't know, weird, but I'm going to be unique on purpose in order to try to show people that I, that I'm not, that I'm not a persona in -hmm. order to show people that I'm not a brand. And so I'm going to make people see that I'm, that I'm weird and authentic in order so that people won't think that I'm just a persona. But essentially, what you've created is is a, a persona, that's a reflection. You've created a persona, that, right. that looks like a what you think a shadow looks like.
1: So, Matt, does that mean for for folks? It, and they don't always have to be fours, right? There are lots of people that are going to overemphasize their shadow or 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 pay, a, pay special attention to it, right? Yes. Yeah. So, does that mean like a like a, a an experience like Halloween would be flipped for them? Would it be an opportunity for them to explore their persona in a sense? Yeah, that's a good question.
0: That's a good question. Like, or maybe let, me address- it's
1: just, let me dress up in like the most brand appropriate costume possible for this yeah. one night or this one 24 hour hall pass.
0: Yeah. Either that, or they should be our guide. They should be our leader, our Halloween. I like that better. They should be our Halloween guides. Like they yeah. should They should be the ones who go dark to show us how to get in touch with death and all of the dark things that we don't want to see. They, just they, gave can me go, chills. they can go full shadow and give us a picture of what, what that looks like. a a real picture because so, so then you look at sevens like Halloween, they might, you could have a seven. Let's just take costumes. For example, you could have a seven wearing the exact same dark, spooky, creepy Halloween costume as a four for like a completely different set of motivations. Uh Like just like as a way they could go dark as a way of avoiding like they could engage with the shadow as a way of avoiding the shadow. Like, let me, I'm going to dress up. I'm going to go party. I'm going to have a blast on Halloween. I'm going to wear, I'm going to be a skeleton or I'm going to go see a horror movie or whatever it is. I'm going to do all the Halloween things so that I don't have to think about Halloween. (laughs) You know, it's just a way it's just a way to avoid the seriousness, the weight, the gravity of the shadow to escape the all those difficult feelings that come along with with looking into the shadow.
1: Yeah, in the same way that like fours would be your guide, maybe into the into the shadow for for the Halloween experience, sevens need to be your guide for the trick or treating portion of the experience. Oh, absolutely. The because candy. There's portion. nothing more fun and there's like no greater sense of anticipation than knocking on somebody's door knowing that they're going to give you candy and you don't know what kind it is and you don't know how much you're going to get. A hundred percent. Best Just, night ever.
0: Yeah. There's a there's a candy element, which is obvious. There's a meeting strangers element, which is great. There's a a party element there's a costume element there's uh you know you've got your friends with you like every it's a it's an entire recipe for sevens you just wherever the sevens are going on the night that you need to you need to just follow them i mean do you remember even
1: after the halloween even after trick-or-treating i used to look forward to getting home from school through like thanksgiving because I could still eat the candy that I'd gotten at Halloween. There was still anticipation for months.
0: Yeah. I I, I know a seven right now who bought um, like a, like a Costco supply of Halloween candy on September 1st. (laughs) Not even exact. Like as soon as they put it on the shelf, I'm buying all of it. See, we have to, we're getting ready for, we're getting ready for Halloween.
1: That, that, that's the, that's the leader of that experience,
0: right? Yeah. But you, yeah, you need to take a four along with you. Mm -hmm. Um, So the the Halloween part of this, we can see the, um, the individual connection to the shadow. But what Jung was famous for proposing is that we have a collective shadow. So as a group as a community we have a shadow there's a there's a there's a collective unconscious meaning the the parts of us that we inherit the parts of our psyche the parts of our psychology that that have been passed down to us from previous generations going back you know to the beginnings of humanity the beginnings of civilization all of those parts which which would include Um, you know, language, mythology, religion, and also um, really just the paradigm through which we see the world is a part of our collective unconscious, meaning we're not aware that it's there. When we come into the world, we slowly become aware of these things as we develop our our personality, and as we develop ourselves. So there is a collective shadow so as the culture as society determines what the mold will be for our persona to fit into uh, cultural norms societal norms uh, religious norms social norms as we develop that sense of right and wrong and you know good versus evil or or good better best whatever that is to to be a functioning member of the community whatever those parameters are then there's a shadow a collective shadow and so it's important for us to determine conscious with as much consciousness as possible what we deem persona and what we deem shadow so so our ethic our moral if we are not aware of what we're, if we're not conscious of the parameters that we're creating for the persona or the shadow, or, this is interesting, if it's just arbitrary, if we try to invent for ourselves um, as... Uh, what, what, who uh, God is dead, who said? I don't know why I'm blanking on. Nietzsche. Nietzsche. If we try to invent for ourselves, as Nietzsche would prescribe, a moral, a higher man, a higher self, a moral system, a moral framework, and we say, okay, this, we've sort of arbitrarily decided that this is the way to be in the world. This is the persona we should develop, and this is the shadow. if we, if it's arbitrary, if we're either not conscious of what we're creating, or it's arbitrary, meaning that it doesn't have any real meaning, it doesn't have any real alignment with reality, alignment with the deeper truths that we know about um, morality, about spiritual, about our true self, then we run into problems because we cannot, we cannot prescribe for ourself a system of norms, those must we we have to integrate what's been handed down to us what's in our collective unconscious we have to do that we have to examine that consciously so we have to look to you know the 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 previous all of the the heroes in our past all of the okay this is a perfect segue all of the saints we're looking at all saints day We have to take what the saints have passed down to determine our persona. Like we're looking at the saints, we're celebrating all saints day so that we can establish what the proper persona is, what the proper way to orient ourselves relationally, socially, how to integrate ourselves into the community. We're, we have to look at the saints we have to celebrate the saints we have to establish rituals and patterns of being that emulate the saints because we've determined that they're saints because they have the, the their story aligns with our collective un uncon- with the patterns in our collective unconscious we've determined that they're saints because they have displayed the 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 highest level the highest experience for us in a cultural social setting so that's why they're saints so now we have to now we're examining the lives of the saints in order to prescribe for ourselves the highest way for us to be in the world and if we don't have the all saints day then we don't have the proper persona and if we don't have the proper persona then we don't have the proper shadow then halloween just is just our we just whatever we feel like doing for halloween which has essentially become what halloween is you know like the um the professor who who at yale um mm-hmm. who got fired for mm-hmm. saying that students Sending out a letter that said students can wear whatever they want for Halloween. They can dress up as whoever they want for Halloween, and yeah, yeah, the students p- were like, "No, you
1: can't." She she basically she endorsed a level of cultural appropriation for Halloween, yes. and yeah. and I, I have thought about this, Matt. It's interesting you brought that up. I thought about this a, a few times while we've been talking. I I believe part of her argument was that there is something in Halloween that that we need to experience as we create these characters for ourselves um, that there are I I don't think she used the word boundaries, but that there are um, there are important parts of ourselves that we actually get to know in relationship to other people. And I think her point was uh, her point, I think, was developmentally. These college students should have that opportunity to be able to figure out what's there. And I, I think, and I, I don't want to say too much because I don't want to, you know, I don't want to mis- misinterpret what she said. But something to the effect of, "This is a necessary part of your development, and if they offend, if they offend one another, then that's actually what they have to work out. And it tells them something about what's, what's underneath themselves and who they are and who the other person is." I,
0: yeah, I, that's think, it that's,
1: I think that's what she was saying. I think um, that's it
0: exactly. But I it's been years it exactly. since
1: I, I've, I've looked it up.
0: And it's it's starting to, the pieces are starting to fit together as you say that, because I, I think that's exactly what was happening. And that goes back to what we said at the beginning is that it has to be fun. it, it, it Halloween has to be a party. It has to be something fun where the, the typical boundaries and typical restraints that we have in, in life every day, are removed for a time in order for us to explore what's in what we've repressed what's what's in there but that we're not acknowledging what's under there but that we're suppressing and so yeah. essentially she didn't say this explicitly but her what's underneath her th- that professor's point was that we if we if we're policing halloween then it defeats the whole purpose of halloween if we're policing what people can and can't explore within their shadow then we're not getting anything out of all hallows eve we're not getting we're not getting into the contents and discovering what's in the shadow and so we might run the risk of offending people we might run the risk of finding something under there, something buried in the shadow that we're not comfortable with. But that's part of the process of exploring the shadow. And and that's why Halloween is just one night a year, because we can't live like that. We can't eat candy and dress up and go around late at night every night of the year. But we've designated this as a time to explore those parts of our community, those parts of our society, and those parts of ourselves. Yeah, and I think
1: you, you'll have to you'll have to correct me if this is wrong, Matt. But I, I think to paraphrase the student response, right? The student the student response, which was, which was at least the way it was covered by the media, which was staunchly, uh, staunchly um, against this professor's perspective and point of view. Mm -hmm. And that, that the students argument was that that's already been explored. Right? So which is why it's which is why it feels harmful to us, you know, when somebody appropriates some part of our some part of our culture to dress up. Right? Because yeah, because that's already been explored. And we know it's there. And that's why it hurts. Or I, 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 I think um, yeah, or, or to keep going with this, with this, this thought, um, you know, or to say, it is there, that part of that part of me is there. And when it's not treated with the seriousness that I that in the way that I experience it, in other words, when someone else makes a game out of it, or a costume out of it. hmm. It's not exploring. It's not exploring our collective unconscious or subconscious. It's it's the opposite of that, right? It's actually it's actually running from it. It's making light of something, something about me. Um, It's making light of the part of my persona that represents something deeper in the shadow. I don't know if that makes sense, Matt, but but it seems to me like, like there, that was this, that's a way to understand the student response.
0: Yes. Well, and that's a, that is, yeah, you're onto something because that is a valid concern. Right. If you're, if you're not, if you're not digging into the shadow, if you're staying on the level of persona, you run the risk of offense. It is offensive it is offensive. If you say, this is my persona, if you're, you wouldn't say it in these explicitly, but this is my persona. This is what I'm going to put forward in the world. And I don't, this is how I'm going to integrate myself into the community, the community. I'm going to be, I don't care. I don't care about your feelings. I don't care about your experience. This is my persona. This is then, you've you've crossed the line you're no longer exploring what's in there you're no longer you're you're actually you're actually disregarding what's in the shadow you're no longer getting in touch with the shadow and that that's what my that's why i say fours should be our guides because we do need some that, that's the that's why it's a ritual that's why halloween is a ritual because there's a pattern or there should be a pattern for exploring the shadow like we should as a community and that's part of uh why our society and our communities have disintegrated to the level that they have is because we don't have the patterns and we don't have the rituals that's what rituals are there for is for us to like it's like medicine men like taking us into the path, taking us down the path. The ritual takes us down the proper path in order to get what we need, in order to uh, find the hidden fountain, in order to find the the buried treasure. Like, it's not just a game. It is a ritual that has been passed down for, for hundreds if not thousands of years but it must be it must be followed ritualistic that's the whole point is that we follow it ritualistically in order to gain from it as a collect as a community and as individuals but if we're yep. all if we're all disintegrated and just saying well this is what halloween is to me this is what ha- you know this is what halloween is to you it there's no there's no unifying. There's no canon, is what is what Neumann would say. We have no unifying canon, and and that's not just scripture. That's you know all of our traditions and mythologies and and our uh, our fathers and mothers in the faith, our heritage and lineage. We don't have that in common. So we all just do whatever we want to do for Halloween. Well, yeah, there's a risk involved there. Like there's certainly a danger that could. That would present itself but if we're if we're all unified in the proper if we're all if we're all oriented properly towards this time of both all hallows eve and all saints day then there's something for us to that that will further unify us and that will integrate us and develop our personalities, the way that they should grow towards our true self. Does that make sense?
1: Yeah. And Matt, it brought up a question. So, so let me walk you through this. Um, going, going back to going back to Halloween and Yale. Mm-hmm. Right. So, uh, one of the, uh, again, I'm, I'm trying to go back and I'll, this was this was this is like such a sensitive issue. So I'm trying to make sure I don't I don't screw this up. But I believe for the the students with the concern about cultural appropriation, um, when we put that into the context of, of the shadow and the persona, um, I could see how that would actually be even more difficult, even more hurtful for on the students part Especially if if you feel like the the system that you're a part of wasn't made for your persona. Mm-hmm. In other words, it was made for somebody else's persona, or was formed that the it was formed by somebody for for. Um, you know, we, we use you know you can use like white space, right? Or straight space, or you fill, fill in the blank. But it mm-hmm. was formed for some other person than me. So I've had to cultivate a persona to code switch. I've had to cultivate a persona to survive in the world that somebody else created for somebody like them. Yes. It, 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 right. And, and yeah. so, so my question then is, is like, is it possible to repress the persona because what I mean is, like, is it possible to be so unaware of the person that you are as you're putting yourself out into the world? Because you're in, because the system was made for someone like you and your persona, you know, like for your someone in your social location, for you to for you to actually be, I don't, I don't know, repressing that.
0: Yeah. Well, it, Neumann that makes addresses, sense yes and neumann addresses this and it's 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 a serious problem and it's it's a difficult one um but he addresses this way all the way back in you know 1940 when he wrote the book and he calls the, the stage of society that we're in recollectivization and I I don't know if if this is a popular way of describing it but essentially mm-hmm. that our communities our communities, our individual sort of homogenous communities that have, that were passed down from generation to, generation to generation to generation to generation have all dissolved. And so now there's just sort of these atomized individuals. There's just a large group of individuals. And then we have tried to recollectivize all of these individuals with different cultural, religious, mm-hmm. psychological heritages and it doesn't it's arbitrary our recollectivization is arbitrary if we because we're disconnected from the collective unconscious the collective unconscious had been passed down to us for tens if not hundreds of thousands of years and then we just in the, the modern man just drew a line in the sand and said that none of that applies to me anymore as a as a modern materialist i don't need any of those myths i don't need any of those rituals i don't need that lineage i decide for myself how i'm going to recollectivize how i'm going to fit into the larger framework so you've got a real you've got a real conflict and and it's it's not just among a couple of different groups it's among every group and almost it's almost at the level of individual where every individual is almost in conflict with every other individual because we're atomized because we're not a part of uh of I mean we have families still sort of I mean not not anything like we used to have um But those really are just reflective they're they're just for the purpose of small children but we don't we Hmm. don't have the 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 true um organic collectivization the true organic unity that is the collective unconscious and and I, i wrote this quote down that this our conversation has led us perfectly into what how neumann ends his thoughts um, he says the growth of conscience meaning the formation of the superego by adaptation to the values of the collective so essentially we develop our our conscience tells us to do things according to the values of our group or not do things that adhere to the values of our group so our group determines its values, we receive those values and our conscience tells us whether or not we're, we're fitting into those, we're living according to those values. The values of the collective, of the old men, meaning the patriarchs of our, of our systems, of, of our paradigms, basically. The growth of conscience stops at the point where the collapse of the cultural canon deprives this collective tribunal of its transpersonal basis. So our con- the, the growth of our conscience stops where the collapse of our cultural canon deprives the collective tribunal of its transpersonal basis. So it, the, collective, the cultural canon is just what, what you feel, whatever you feel is for you and whatever i feel is from it's not transpersonal it's all just individual i i relate to this i identify with this you don't identify with this that's cool i do you identify in some other way with some other canon and none of it is transpersonal it's all just as it as my it relates to my experience so our conscience stops growing once we no longer once we can no longer, once we no longer have a unifying canon, cultural canon, our conscience stops growing. Conscience then becomes a Jewish capitalist or socialist invention. Meaning it's just a religious construct. Our conscience is just a construct. It's either determined by our, the, the free market, by the free market, by, by capitalism or socialism or, um, Judaism or whatever religion we choose to, to adhere to this is where, this is where it gets good. This is his last sentence, but the voice in quotes that inward orientation, which makes known the utterances of the self will never speak in a disintegrated personality, in a bankrupt consciousness and in a fragmented psychic system, the voice that inward orientation, which makes known the utterances of the self will never speak in a disintegrated personality in a bankrupt consciousness and in a fragmented psychic system so if we have, if our personality is disintegrated if we're not in touch with the shadow if we're overly identified with our ego our individualized atomized ego and we have no connection we have no unity with the collective the cultural canon our Conscience stops growing and all of our restraints, the parameters for the development of our persona become arbitrary. It's just an invention. We're just, we develop a persona based on who our parents are, who we wanna be friends with. It's all just arbitrary. The, the true voice of the self, the daimon that we've, we've we talked about in the calling episode, will never speak to that personality to the personality who, where the persona and the shadow are completely separate. There's no integration. There's no connection. The conscious, the conch, conscience stops growing. We become disconnected from that voice, the voice of the self self, the voice of the true self and our psychic system becomes fragmented. So all of that in a long winded way to answer your question about people who don't feel like the rituals fit into their paradigm, who don't feel like the rituals represent their experiences, who don't feel like the discovery of the shadow, that process aligns with their experience or their identity, it can't, it, it, it can't be solved until we have a unified cultural Canon until we have a unified alignment with, until we, as individuals are aligned with our collective unconscious, until we get in touch with the collective unconscious, until the collective unconscious becomes conscious. We're aware of it and we dive into it and we relate to it. And, and what does it say? The collapse until we, until it becomes transpersonal. Until that collective unconscious becomes transpersonal where we, all of us together fit ourselves into those parameters, into that boundary, into that, that path. And that paradigm pattern is the best word to describe it. Fit ourselves, align ourselves with that pattern. So, Are there different, Hey,
1: and this might be, this might be for another day, but mm-hmm. Is there only one collective unconscious, 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 or are there different? I don't know categories of collective unconscious. Like, because what I'm what I'm understanding, what I'm imagining is it's just this like ethereal thing that's out there, formless and shapeless, um, that that's informing all of us. But but I, I'm trying to find a way to wrap my head around it
0: yeah i would say yeah. the the best the the way i wrap my head around it is in the same i relate it to genetics so so there's not you know our genes are what we inherit physically materially from you know who knows how far back we we can trace our genes back as far as we want the collective unconscious is like the genetic material of our psyche it's like the dna the code of our psychic development in the same way that the dna develops our you know brown hair blonde hair blue eyes brown eyes tall short that collective unconscious those that genetic material is like our is like our collective unconscious it's like a psychological genetic material it's it's the myths, it's the paradigm with which we see myth, which we, with which we experience the world religiously, psychologically, uh, relationally. And so in the same way, genes are different for each of us. And, you know, if we go back, genetic, each community has a unifying set of genetic code. I think that each community would have a unifying collective unconscious, which might, which would probably align with the collective unconscious for, for most other groups, I mean, for the most part, but it would have some differentiating features, but Neumann's point is that we've, every group has lost its collective unconscious and now we're no longer, it's no longer collective unconscious. It's atomized, we're every group, because every group has been disconnected from its own collective unconscious, its own psychic genetic material contents. Now that we're all just egos, we're all just personas operating under arbitrary boundaries and we're all just squabbling over whose whose fence goes on which side of the yard because it's all there's no pattern there's no codes it's just arbitrary every 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 issue has become arbitrary where um, we
1: focus on we're, we're we're like we're obsessing over where the fence goes instead of actually talking about the land that the fence is it is you know dividing
0: yes because we threw away the maps
1: yeah yeah we have no Man, that's, idea
0: that's wild
1: yeah it, you and i talk about this as if it's like a, because we, we talk about this we talk about it as if it's normal and it is normal but what we're saying is wild
0: yeah it's it, it's extraordinary it's really, it's really scary honestly
1: yeah. yeah um that's that's maybe a good a good line to end our Halloween episode on. Absolutely. It's, right it's thirteenth. It's honestly really scary.
0: It's honestly really scary. Yeah. Well, this was a fun one. We could go into, we could go into a lot yeah. of these, we could go down a lot of these, um, rabbit trails and, and yeah. hopefully we will, I, I, just the idea of the collective unconscious is, uh, is worth exploring for in a full episode. Um, but I know you mentioned you want to, you want to, talk about calling in terms of pick back up with calling in terms of the enneagram yeah which would be fun which which i think would be would be interesting so yeah we can we can keep going with whatever direction we want it maybe next week next week we'll get back to everybody loves the enneagram anyway including me so i know you gotta give the people what they want we this would be jung and the enneagram it, but it doesn't have the same ring to it. It's not as catchy. Yeah. Yeah. It's All it right, doesn't
1: dude. do well for a persona. No, it doesn't. It doesn't.
0: But Jung and the Restless, he gets mileage out of that. That fits us into a cultural context. Oh yeah. All right, man. All right,
1: dude. See you this next is, time. This was awesome. Absolutely. And terrifying. <laughs>